windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucks spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher via the telephone. He's on the road in between Greensboro and Cullowee, or maybe still in Greensboro. We'll find out in just a second, but he'll have the action tomorrow. Western Carolina, ETSU, 133 game show, 2 o'clock tip. We'll break down that, talk about his game last night with the women's basketball squad against UNCG in our second segment. Keith Brake from Frisco, Texas. He's covering the national championship game of FCS. We'll talk to him third segment, break down a little bit of uh, JMU, North Dakota State. We'll also think about his thoughts. There's a lot of talk around college football. Is Bama and Clemson good for the national brand? Well, how does he feel about North Dakota State and James Madison? We'll talk to him about that. Bold predictions, our final segment, but we have to start men's basketball. No reason I want to start men's basketball, uh, and we'll talk about this UNCG game. Then we'll break down VMI. But, Mike Gallagher, uh, you were there as well. Not, Not all the times are you there. And I know I have a reputation sometimes for a little bit of an embellishment, but you saw the double-tech ejection ending to what was a wild game with ETSU besting the Spartans 64-57. Yeah, and let me say, Jay, that your description of it, which, of course, will be heard again on Sandos and the sidekick at some point, perhaps Monday, perhaps in the segment, you abhor and I adore, uh, I don't think it was that off base. I think you said it was the most, uh, the craziest decision or something along those lines in college basketball history. You know, you make fun of me for hyperbole and, you know, then you go over the top with that. But I really don't think that uh, you're wrong. I've never seen such an unfathomable, unconjurable decision down a point inside a minute to go, inside 30 seconds to go, and you smash your clipboard. And Matt Bush, intern for ETSU Athletics, put it to me pretty well post-game. He said it's like he just kind of blacked out and went to a space where he didn't even really know what was happening right before the second technical lost his mind. Looked to me like he was going to go over and punch Tim Gaddis right in the face. Like if his assistant coach hadn't gotten in between him and said referee because he was hot. Uh, And then all of a sudden, it's like the switch flipped. He came out of said blackout state, realized what he had done, that he essentially um, had cost UNCG a chance to win the game and then got quiet, put his head down, walked off the court, walked literally right by me. I thought he was going to Dennis Rodman me. I was so close to him uh, with the camera, just taking shots as I was taking photos for ETSUN's basketball that night. I I was about three or four feet from him, just shooting up at him as he walked off the court with his head down. And uh, if you're not familiar with the reference to Dennis Rodman, he once kicked a cameraman. I thought I may become that person because I was pretty uh, pretty up in his grill. Um, Incredible 
series of events. I just am still recovering, still reeling from the thought of what Wes Miller did. Um, and I want to clarify as well. They did not lose the game because of Wes Miller getting those technicals. Did he cost them a chance to get back in the game, take the lead, perhaps steal it at the end? Yes, absolutely. But that is not the reason that they lost. ETSU making some incredible shots around the basket and playing a really solid defensive game, especially late, I thought was the difference. What well, it went from shot to no shot. I mean, you had a shot to win, and I, I went back and – but like using the same GA reference you did, Matt Bush, he, he brought up a point because I thought Miller had the clipboard in his hand the whole time. So I actually went back uh, yesterday, Thursday, and watched it, and he actually knocked the clipboard out of his assistant's hand. So I think the first technical was one that he certainly still deserved but wasn't trying to get. Like when you slam your clipboard out of your own hand, like you know that's a technical foul. So I think maybe he was just trying to – because the referee kind of gave him the the usual hand up, like, hey, that's it, no more, go back. And I think he was doing that, but in the, the all frustration at the same time, he swung, hit the clipboard. Once it hits the ground and breaks, you just can't – you can't do that at any time. I know that – listen, ETSU fans should be sensitive to late technical fouls that cost you games because it cost the Bucks a trip to an NCAA tournament against Belmont – so I've always been in favor of if you can hold and swallow the whistle, do so as long as you can because I still hold that grudge. Uh, and so do most Buck fans against Doug Sermons. And usually if you say that, somebody usually spews viral uh, hate at me uh, on Twitter just for even mentioning his name. But that's a situation. Now, this was a regular season game. So this was not – if this would have been a tournament game, oh, my goodness, I cannot even imagine what would have gone on there. But this was obviously not a tournament game regular season game it's not the end of the world but I think once he got the first technical foul then the blackout occurred I think yeah. that's when Agreed. because it was still a two-point game you and and you talked about it uh, a lot on Sanderson's sidekick on Wednesday that these were the two worst free throw shooting teams in the league and they're that way for a reason and even after the first technical Trey Boyd who was like I don't know 92 percent missed one of the free throws Pat Good had already missed a free throw in the game but when he got the second technical, at that point, not only did you know ETSU was going to be up at least um, a full basket, if not two, and they were up two, two baskets because they, they hit both free throws at that point, and they were going to be fouled again, but you could feel the energy of the crowd, the players. I just think, you know, and I think Wes knew, as you said, walking off the floor because he came out and I read all his comments, and I'm critical of coaches that always preach the accountability to players but never take it themselves. I think he owned that pretty good. I just wondering how in the world do did he look at his players who were battling, who no fault of their own, still had a chance to win the game. I mean, still it was not an insurmountable lead because even if, if there's no technical fouls and the Bucks commit a couple of fouls, it's a three point game. There's a couple things UNCG could do, Mike. They could go to the rim and extend and try to make ETSU miss more free throws or get a steal, or they could try to hit a three. But, I mean, it was still very much an up-in-the-air contest. All he did was take that and, and wipe it away. But I don't know how you look at your players and your coaches and go, I know you guys battled and I cost us. And he said that, you know, hey, this is on me. I ask everybody to be accountable, and yet I was the one that lost my cool. It can never happen again. And I, I, I get all that. But I'm just wondering – can you lose a locker room because of that? 
think the short answer is yes. Will Wes Miller lose UNCG's locker room after this? I think this specific case, the answer is no, because he came out and, as you said, handled it the right way. I was five feet away from him when he actually came out of, I don't know if it was his press conference locker room, whatever the case may be, talking to the media, but came right over right before Steve Forbes talked to you and went up to Coach Forbes and just said, hey, really sorry about that, you know, my bad. Um, that's not how you want this type of game to be decided. And it sounded like Coach Forbes, I didn't hear all of Coach Forbes' comments, but he seemed very receptive to it. And Coach Forbes has been in that type of situation as well. Now, I think a bit more calculated on Coach Forbes' part when he was ejected from the Wofford game, I think it was two years ago now, um, a no-call on one end, then you come down, and it was either McGee or, or Murphy or whoever, someone hits a three that makes it, I can't remember if it was a nine or 12-point game at that point, uh, but essentially ended the game. Uh, that was about two minutes left, and so it wasn't nearly as tight because you said it right. I mean, Patrick Good hits a free throw, and it's 58 to 57 with 38 seconds left. Then you get the charge, which 100%, I was on the other end of the court. I was 100 feet away. I could see plain as day it was a charge. I don't think I found anyone that disagrees. Now, of course, we're <laughs> talking to a lot of ETSU fans and people on the program and things as like that. So, you know, it's an ETSU podcast. Uh, is it coming from a certain lens? Maybe, but to be able to spot it all the way on the other end, and I was really, you know, looking right from one basket to another. So it, it was tough to see the angle, and I could still even tell that it looked like the extension of the arm and down went. Um, I think it was Isaiah Tisdale who played unbelievable defense on Isaiah Miller. Um, again, plays like that. I think what won the game for ETSU, not the referee's decision to tee up Wes Miller twice or um, anything down the stretch that necessarily was a call that some will feel slighted by. I just don't buy into that. I think ETSU down the stretch was the better team, and a lot of that was personified by Isaiah Tisdale stand against Isaiah Miller when he was, you know, pulling all the tricks out of the bag late, and Tisdale just stuck with him, and he's been so great the entire year at doing so. Uh, it was 58-57, you get the charge, and then come the technical fouls. So, like you said, it could have been a steal um, after a two-pointer. If ETSU makes those, uh, you know, makes two free throws um, off the foul from UNCG before the technicals, you know, say it's 58-57, you inbound, you get the foul, you make both free throws, 60-57, you can either go for the three to tie, you can go for a quick two plus the steal so yeah they were right there and uh i know it's every it's what everyone wants to talk about you know west miller being ejected and getting a couple of technicals but personally i thought the defensive stand against isaiah miller by isaiah tisdale was really uh where the game was won and lost if you look at one specific instance down the stretch yeah i i think it was a charge uh, and it doesn't really matter what we think it was called a charge but it, lo looking at it again thought thought it was a charge um i i don't think it was that specific play. I, I think it was. I think it was everything. I was everything in the second half, just kind of boiled over to a point where Coach Miller could not handle it anymore. Now we'll say this: there was a rule change, and I believe it was headed up by Steve Forbes. Is that this is not an automatic sit out, um, and so anything that's a non-fighting disqualification, ejection, whatever you want to word it, is up for league review. And Coach Forbes, and this was after he got tossed and didn't realize, remember, I had to break the news to him last year. He had to sit out a game. This is the first league he's been in that you had to sit a game. And so here comes the sort of the rub. And so all of NCAA, the players all kind of play by the same rules, which, which is interesting because if you're – ejected for the uh, hook and hold and all that you got to sit a game you you know and again taking fighting out of it if you get two technical fouls you have to sit out a game 
But what I don't get is how coaches, again, are held to a different standard than players, and it's up to your league. Most leagues, after doing research last year on it, is uh, the coach can come back if it's the first ejection of the year. If you have multiple ejections, then you start to sit games. So I kind of feel like if the rest of the country, if you have two teams, and let's say ETSU is playing an SEC opponent like LSU because they played this year, and Will Wade and Steve Forbes are ejected in the same game, Will Wade can coach the next game, SEC rules. Steve Forbes, under last year's rules, would have to sit. To me, that's unfair. NCAA has to either say do it or don't. Since most teams don't, I'm all for do what most of the leagues do, which is let a coach have one. I'm also for league review because you can have a situation to where you do have a rogue uh, ref or something. I don't think Tim Gaddis was rogue in this, although we could argue over Tim Gaddis later. But I, I don't think these were particularly two technicals that were – unwarranted at, at, at that you know at, on how it went down I, I just don't think it was Tim just picked on him and for no reason hit, hit him with technical fouls which I have seen in other games happen and not I, the and I always go back to this I always tell a story Delaware State's coach got tossed against ETSU in one of those holiday classics down um, in uh, Texas that we played on Thanksgiving weekend and I still have no idea I was 10 feet from him I have no idea what he did. It was the worst ejection I've ever seen in college basketball. So I do think referees and stuff can dictate that. So that's an interesting thing. How will the commissioner handle this? Because if he says he can coach next game, you set a standard. If he says he can't coach this game against Furman, he sets a standard. So we'll have to see how that goes. That being said, I don't want to yada yada. I don't want to use all of our time on Wes Miller. Joe Hughley was unbelievable in that game with no Jerome Rodriguez. And we've always talked about and heard from his teammates what a great teammate he is. To me, Mike Gallagher, he showed exactly what type of teammate he was in that game against UNCG. You're absolutely right. And I want to just go back one uh, moment to the previous conversation because I do got to correct myself that it was the Wofford game last year where Steve Forbes was ejected. Now, going back to your point about Wes Miller and the uh, possibly missing a game, if you'll remember, ETSU was playing Reinhardt the next game. Uh, and so I'm not saying that Steve Forbes, you know, threw up being ejected or had, you know, choreographed exactly how this is going to go and looked at, you know, the next opponent and said, oh, perfect. If things go bad against Wofford and I want to get ejected, yeah, it's great because I can go and miss the Reinhardt game and we're probably going to run away with it anyway. And the Bucks did by 47. I'm not saying that, but it worked out for ETSU where with this West Miller situation, if it was an automatic one game, you've got Furman tomorrow and so not only have you cost your team the game against etsu you also against another league favorite i think you know etsu and uncd were one and two in the coach and media polls but Furman, right there uh, obviously have been a top four team the last couple of years and are certainly strong as etsu found out in that 65 56 win so then it kind of compounds but the fact that you know now the rule changes come about uh, leaves some ambiguousness and yeah very interesting that that's changed this year um and the timing of it for what Miller. Um, now, Joe Hughley, to get back to your question, I mean, just phenomenal. And I, I've never been, I think, happier for a guy than I am for Hughley because this is the type of player I envisioned him being when he came in. You know, we heard what he did against or at Central Connecticut State, and we heard his ability and the numbers speak for themselves. But you also, you know, get to be around him now that he's at ETSU and just a really solid kid, great head on his shoulders, smart, wants to get into coaching, and to see him have success like he did in a big moment when we got the news and it was very late on i mean 
I, I think a couple times on a Santos on the sidekick on Wednesday said, now the Bucks are at full strength, and I think that's why they're the favorite coming in because UNCG is maybe going to have, you know, Caleb Hunter, maybe going to have Kyron Galloway. Turned out Hunter did play, but very ineffective, 21 minutes, one point, oh, a three from the field, and didn't have Galloway, and uh, you didn't have one of the Langleys as well, so they were still missing three of the four that we talked about. When Jeremy Rodriguez was out, I said a couple times pregame to either you or Stephen May, people on the trip down to UNCG, that I thought it really equalized things. You know, Jeremy Rodriguez can be a force. We know that uh, inside is a place where ETSU, you know, has success on games where they're not shooting it well. You know, it's Lucas Cousin and Jeremy Rodriguez, and when you're in tight games in league play, you do need an inside presence. So for Joe to step up, 14 points, 9 rebounds, clearly his best game as a Buccaneer in some extended minutes, you know, this is what I think ETSU was hoping they'd get from this grad transfer. And when you look at the post-depth, he maybe gets forgotten about because he hasn't had as many chances or has been hurt or has gotten himself in foul trouble. But in a massive contest to step up right when ETSU needed him, you can't overstate enough how important that was for the box. Yeah, and clearly don't win the game uh, without him. And just the way no. he's able to play. But he waited his turn, right? He's a good teammate. Apparently gave an inspirational halftime speech, uh, just sort of – Apparently, uh, letting it letting it hang, you know, let, wearing some guys out when they're not performing, talking about some of the things he needed to do, and just trying to keep everybody again. Accountability is a popular word in sports, and so uh, just just fun to watch Joe. His team. It's hard to imagine a guy coming in that's not really with so many returners, and to have him step up in one of the lead roles and people lean on him. I think just shows you what type of person that Joe Hughley is. Now, very quick turnaround to Saturday. Uh, VMI comes to town. They're second in the nation in attempted threes, second yeah. in the nation in made threes. They're scoring a lot. This is a little bit different setup. They don't have Bubba Parham. He's transferred over to Georgia Tech. They still got some quality guys that can score, but this is a situation where the Bucks have consciously tried to guard the three-point line, and that'll be tested Saturday. Well, and ETSU is a much better team defending the arc this year, as we've talked about on Santos and the Sidekick. And this VMI team is not particularly one that, uh, obviously, they shoot the ball really well from outside. I think they're 29th in the nation in three-point percentage. So they will be a challenge to guard from the arc, but that just hasn't translated to wins this year. You know, their victories are UC Davis took double overtime to get that. Christendom College, I don't know if you're familiar with Christendom College, Jay Sandoz, a goucher. And against Christendom and goucher, they com- uh, allowed 52 combined points. So I don't know how much uh, you stock you want to put into those wins. Uh, Furham or Ferrum College, perhaps? And it's Ferrum. I do know that one. It's Ferrum. Okay. Okay, thank you, thank you. I, I am not familiar. Uh, others, I'm sure, are. So the other D1 win is Stetson. So they have two wins at the Division One level, and they've lost five in a row, and they're just giving up a boatload of points. They gave up 91 to USC Upstate, 89 to Furman, 78 to Stanford. Now, that was a tight game, and then 97 to Western Carolina in their last four. That being said... Their games on the road this year, and this is strange for a team that doesn't have any road wins, they have been in for the most part, including against Virginia Tech right before Christmas. They only lost by nine, and that's a Virginia Tech team with Mike Young that's having some success early in the season. I think they're 11-4 and four now, 10-4, and 11-4. So um, that's uh, if there are such things as moral victories and positive signs that your team is not going to give up, stick in games, um, I 
there's certainly think that's it. And you look across the board, and they haven't lost a game by more than 15 points this year. So while, yes, they haven't had quality wins, only two against Division One opponents, um, while they have given up a lot of points lately, we know with the three ball they can put up a lot of points. They only lost to Sanford by three. But on then again, the other side, this is their first road game in the SoCon. And while they've allowed only 69 points per game this year, after like 81 last year, you know that that's going to even out in SoCon play, specifically because the numbers that are dragging down that average right now are the Christendom games, um, are the games against, you know, Goucher, where you're allowing 26 points a game. So uh, this is going to be a challenge. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Again, winless on the road, but have been in a lot of games. You have to be sharp if you're ETSU. And is there a chance for a letdown game? Uh, I think so. Um, because after an intense back and forth against a league favorite like UNCG, and with the way things unfolded late, I was shell-shocked, you know, coming into our conversation today still. You know, I, I'm hoping that Coach Forbes, and I don't have any doubt that he has had his men move on from that and focused on VMI, but uh, it's a potential stumbling block. There's no question. That being said, if ETSU is anywhere close to their best, it should be a victory. Well, and we'll have that game 4 o'clock. We'll talk about the broadcast schedule uh, at the end of bold predictions. It's a little bit interesting because we are going to cover the pregame for the women. Women tip at 2. We're going to talk about that next segment. Then straight from the end of the women's game, We'll jump straight to the start of the men's basketball game and then do the post-game show for the men. So that's coming up, a little double dip on Saturday. Speaking of the women, we'll break down that game against UNCG and preview their Western Carolina game coming up tomorrow for this time. I'm Santa Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sandus and a sidekick back with you on this Friday. Mike Gallagher on the road. We have the call of ETSU versus Western Carolina women's basketball. Two o'clock, tip time, one thirty, airtime tomorrow. But before we do that, let's talk about the old adage, Mike. You cannot win a game in the first quarter, but you certainly can lose a game in the first quarter. Aptly said, and I think that's exactly what happened to ETSU uh, last night at Fleming Gymnasium. Um, Twenty-four to ten after that first quarter, it was sixteen to four after like five or six minutes of play. And the coaches all said a post game, uh, and you heard it on the Buccaneer Sports Network that the game started at you know seven oh two, not seven twelve, not seven twenty two, and that was the message that she gave to her team after the contest because after that things stabilized. You know, ETSU was only outscored by uh, two the rest of the way, um, and so against a UNCG team that I believe a lot of people around the conference are looking at and saying in a wide open league this year. Uh, where Mercer lost for the first time in Southern Conference play in over two years last night to Furman by 13. Furman, of course, one of the league favorites, but UNCG with 11 wins, their best start in over 20 years through 15 games. I think a lot of people are looking at the Spartans and saying this is the team to beat going into league play in the Southern Conference. And they showed why last night. You know, they had a suffocating defense against the Bucs. ETSU didn't score over 14 points in a quarter. Um, again, I think ETSU answered pretty well after that first quarter, but 
how much of that was maybe UNCG going into uh, cruise mode a little bit, knowing exactly what they could and couldn't do um, in terms of, or needed to do, I should say, in order to keep the Bucks at bay enough to get to the finish line. I don't think that's a good philosophy, obviously, but UNCG, if that is what they did, used it pretty well. Uh, they held ETSU to scoreless streaks in the second quarter of five minutes, in the third quarter of eight minutes, and in the fourth quarter of three and a half minutes. It's just very difficult against a defensive team like UNCG and a team that has some really solid offensive players. I mean, Aja Boyd is going to be an all-league player. Tasia Twitty showed that she's got a really nice mid-range game last night, and she was a preseason all-league player, will be an all-league player again this year, averaging 14-7. and seven. Nadine Solomon really didn't show everything that she had last night, uh, but still was a big factor. You know, four steals of the 13 that UNCG had, and in double figures, no surprise for her, basically the record holder offensively, or soon to be in essentially every category in the UNCG record book. So uh, offensively, defensively, and rebounding, you know, they were only plus one UNCG, but a really good rebounding team as well. Um, it's not a bad loss. You know, you're upset about how it went down, of course. I think Coach Zellas, I think you and me looking at the box score are being there last night I was the players are um, but this Spartans team is going to be around the top of the conference and there's no question about that in my mind what ETSU needs to do now is have a short memory because they've got a quick turnaround to Western Carolina a team they've dominated but also a team that at least lately and last night against Chattanooga I know Chattanooga's down and such you know they've had chances to win games uh, Jewel Smalls is back um, you know, uh, LaPlante, Laura LaPlante is averaging double figures as well. It's a whole new coaching staff. So um, ETSU has to put this one behind them. You know, there were some good individual performances. Ty Kimbrough was good again after coming back from flu-like symptoms. Micah Sheets in double figures again. At least Stafford had a really good bounce back game after going 0 of 9 against Cornell. But, you know, you, you put it the right way. That first quarter really killed the Bucks, And UNCG was just doing an excellent job going end-to-end, long over-the-top passes, transition points. And the Bucks just couldn't keep up in that first quarter. And while they rebounded, just too much offensive inconsistency the rest of the game to really get back in it. Yeah, I was happy with the rebounding numbers because they really struggled. UNCG is one of the better rebounding teams in the league. But giving up 10 of 16 in the first quarter shooting certainly didn't help uh, ETSU. And you look at the numbers, I mean, other than you get a 14-point deficit, you lose by 16. And again, you go, okay, well, three quarters you competed. But again, and I hate to harp on it, but the Bucks just aren't good enough to take a player off take a quarter off, take anything off. They're going to have to play for 40 minutes of action, even against Western Carolina, who you look at their only win Division One-wise uh, was Charleston Southern, who played a couple non-Division One teams, won those, right. and really struggled with that. They beat uh, UVA-wise by, I think it was nine. And Southern Wesleyan, they did hammer pretty good. But, you know, they've only got one Division One win. It's new staff. It's new everything. I think it's a double header for them, so they may have a little bit of a crowd as it gets going on. I mean, I hope you enjoy Purple Thunder and the halftime show because you may not you may not be able to hear yourself think at some point in time. But if you were going to write the ship for head coach Brittany Zell, this would be the one to do it because you've got two tough home games coming up after that with Wofford and Furman. Well, and again, I mean, you just look at how Western's been playing lately, and you can, you know, look at the level of competition and say, okay, uh, Winthrop is not North Carolina, right? Early in the season, Western lost to UNC by 37, and then Elon by 44. They only scored 24 points in that game, and then Campbell by 21, Coastal by 23. But lately, and, you know, break everything down how you will, um, but Cleveland State, a team that ETSU knows pretty well, 
the Cleveland State team has uh, double-digit wins this year. They just got their 12th win a couple of days ago. They only lost by seven, Western Carolina. ETSU lost by eight. You know, Tennessee Tech, they lost by four. Winthrop by three. College of Charleston by nine. And then most recently, Chattanooga by seven. Yes, they only have the one Division One win, but looking at those results, you know, Kylie Hill's got a big job ahead of him, right? Uh, first year, and this is a program that needs a lot of rehabbing, um, has been bad for a long time, have lost 21 straight Southern Conference games. It's a huge job, but if you dive deep into those type of results, getting the win over Charleston Southern right before Cleveland State and Tennessee Tech and Winthrop, maybe there's a little bit, a bit of belief growing there for Jewel Smalls and Lauren LaPlante and the rest of the Catamounts, and maybe Kylie Hill's starting to see a little bit of growth. Um, again, it's not all going to happen overnight, but if you're in a lot of these games, eventually you're going to steal one. Now, Coach Zell needs to make sure that doesn't happen because you cannot be the team that is the one that snaps that 21-game losing streak, right? Especially coming off a game against UNCG, where two days later, you need a bounce back, you need some belief from your own players, right? I mean, they've gone through a tumultuous non-conference season, won three more games than last year, that's great, but also you know, lost Erica Haynes-Overton and have had to redefine roles and adjust on the fly, and a ton of players are playing that haven't had really uh, any experience in the past, whether it be in this program um, with the Amaya Adamses or you know Gabby Brown and Sierra Purdue um, coming over from uh, junior colleges where they played a decent amount, but UM basketball is kind of a whole new thing, right? It's a whole new experience for them in general. So um, have to be focused, you know, have to go in and take Western Carolina as a UNCG, as a Furman, as a Mercer. You, know, you can't, as you mentioned, the Bucks just at this point are not experienced enough, uh, don't have the amount of success behind them on the court this season to be able to go in and take a quarter off against Western Carolina. Because last year, if you remember, Jewel Smalls hit a three fading out of bounds from like 35 feet away to what we thought uh, was beat the Buccaneers on their home court. As it turned out, they went to replay overturned at the Bucks one in overtime. But that's as close as the Westerns come to winning a game in the league over the last year and a half. So ETSU knows firsthand that this team can be dangerous and making sure that they are at their best tomorrow is going to be very important because a second league loss in this weekend um, would, needless to say, not be ideal for ETSU start to league play. Well, think about this. It's a situation where Western thinks they are wronged, right? I mean, so if nothing else, they're thinking, hey, we need to pay them back for that. So if you're not already concerned about going to Western Carolina starting 0-2, if there was ever a game that Western probably circled or looks in the mirror and goes, how in the world did we not win that game last year in Brooks Gym? I think this is the one which makes it a dangerous game for ETSU. And maybe all of them are dangerous for ETSU, but I think you're right. You certainly don't want to be the team that breaks the streak. I think there's a lot of things going. If ETSU can continue to rebound, at least as they did against UNCG, I think that's going to help. Then do the shots drop. I mean, a little bit that I got to watch yesterday, there were some open looks that didn't go down. And, again, ETSU is going to have to – uh, shoot shoot better percentages, whether it's getting easier looks inside or whether it's just these shots that they have an opportunity to knock down and knock down. They're going to have to do that against Western Carolina. When we come back, Keith Brakes dialing in. i got to talk to him about the national championship game, North Dakota State, James Madison. After that, Mike Gallagher rejoins me for bold predictions after this timeout from Santa's Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. 
Sweet and salty? Naughty and nice? Hot and cold? Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Jay Sanders back on Sanders and the sidekick. Mike Galgor join me on the other side of this. We've got a very special guest. It's Keith Brake. He's a longtime Buccaneer Sports Network employee and now with North Dakota State to cover national championship game. And two teams are playing in the championship. It is North Dakota State and James Madison. No shock whatsoever that these two teams are going to meet and might have been a travesty if they would not have met in a championship game. Honestly, Jay, I think the bigger shock is just how wide the gap was between one and two and the rest of the country. Uh, South Dakota State kind of tailed off at the end of the year. We thought they were a team that that had a shot to maybe disrupt what a lot of people felt was inevitable, like you said, with the with the Bison and the Dukes at the beginning of the year. But uh, Jabori Gibbs gets hurt. Uh, NDSU finds a way with that 71-yard touchdown run by Adam Cofield on fourth and one in the fourth quarter uh, to, uh, to, to find a way. They find a way to win that game. And all of a sudden, there's really not anybody left. You know, Montana falls flat on its face in Ogden against Weber State. Weber didn't have a quarterback to go to, to Harrisonburg and beat JMU. And Montana State, as, as much progress as they made this year, it's clear they still had a long way to go and still have a long way to go to, uh, to top North Dakota State and, and JMU. Uh, these two teams made it feel inevitable. Uh, and, and certainly with the benefit of hindsight, it, it, feel, it felt inevitable. Um, and, and honestly, Jay, I, I think at least one of these two teams might be back here again next year. You know, North Dakota State returns a ton. JMU has a lot of seniors, but they've also recruited the high school ranks extremely well over the last couple of years under previous head coach Mike Houston. They, they could just as easily be back here, and we could be looking at another Bama-Clemson type of, of rivalry atop FCS football. Yeah, and, and, and there's still debate. Is that good for college football? Is it bad? Certainly for your bottom line and business being at North Dakota State, I'm sure it's great. What do you feel, though, separating yourself? Do you feel like this is good for FCS? Kind of like the argument with FBS. Is, is it good that Alabama's not in there and you get somebody else in there besides Bama Clemson? Or are you of the math of just whoever the best are? Does it matter?
uh, people would watch on television and, and that, that people would be tuned in for. And North Dakota State and James Madison are clearly at the top of that list. NDSU is a huge national brand, maybe even bigger than, than Montana was at its peak in the late 90s. I would say definitely with the advent of, of digital media and, and the uh, the way ESPN has covered this brand, this, this brand um, and this institution, they are the national brand in, in FCS. And, and if you ask me to pick the second biggest brand, I'd say James Madison, and then probably Montana and Montana State. And those two schools travel well, but they don't bring big TV numbers. So I think from the standpoint of needing something to rally behind, needing a standard bearer, FCS needs that. And North Dakota State and JMU are those types of schools that can grab that banner and say, this is what FCS can be. This is what FCS should be. This is why this level should get a little bit more respect from people who, who keep wanting to call it Division Two. Well, I think the respect, the one thing you can tip your hat in, and I've bragged about this this year, the championship game is on ABC. The FBS championship game is on ESPN, and I know ESPN has a brand but it's still not an over-the-air traditional network where FCS is going to be able to shine with somebody who still is old school that has some rabbit ears or some digital antenna can pick it up at home that may stumble across the game and get some viewership to expose them to what I think could be a better championship game than LSU and Clemson. Absolutely, and I think this is a fourth-quarter football game. I, I, honestly, I think both might be fourth-quarter games, although I do expect LSU to beat Clemson in the, in, in New Orleans. But um, I, this is going to be a great football game. It's going to be a great um, ambassador, brand ambassador for the level, and it's going to be that brand ambassador, like you said, on network television. I can't think of two schools that are better suited to clash on network TV the first time the SDS National Championship game is on national network television. I think it's a, it's a great setup, uh, and, and this is going to be good for the level for a really long time. And, and the brand of Frisco has become extremely strong as well and is tied in nicely with that. You know, we were talking before the segment about the, the national championship game used to be at Finley Stadium in Chattanooga, and, and it did an unbelievable job, but... Was it really, I mean, was the national championship, did it have the same kind of association with Chattanooga that it does now with Frisco, Texas? I think the NCAA really likes it here. Uh, the, the city has certainly benefited from it, uh, and, and it's not Dallas, right? You, you get FC Dallas that plays at Toyota Stadium, but it's, it's in Frisco, but they are branded as Dallas's team. This is Frisco's game. And I think that helps create a, a stronger brand identity than Dallas would say for uh, for the SDS National Championship. But when you talk about the kind of game you would want on network television for the first time, I think this is the game that people would look at and say, this will be good for SDS. All right, X's and O's, uh, last question. What does North Dakota State need to do to win? What does JMU need to do to win? North Dakota State needs to win the line of scrimmage. Uh, they, they're, they're facing the best defensive line in the country 
this this weekend with their offensive line, with which NDSU has the best offensive line in the country. I think those two will have a big factor, and that's that's the game within the game. When I talk to offensive coordinator Tyler Roll, he says the game within the game is our offensive line being NDSU's against their defensive line being JMU's. And Rondell Carter is an NFL prospect. He's a finalist for the Buck Buchanan. I, I expect him to win it tonight. I'd be disappointed if he didn't. I think he'd be disappointed if he didn't, but he's also got a national title to try and go win. Uh, and I got to talk to him yesterday. He's just a bundle of energy. He's super fired up uh, to be here with JMU one last time. Um, and then you look at it on the other side. I think James Madison's got to take care of the football. You know, Ben DiNucci has that reputation of, of being a bit of a turnover machine. He's limited that this year. He's, he's certainly cut into that reputation. I think he's only thrown five interceptions all season. But we've also still seen games where his decision-making gets a little bit suspect. And the, the instant something flashes in the pass rush, he is out of the pocket. He gets happy feet. Some people look at it as panic. Some people look at it as improvisation. And really, I think the, the way you look at it at the end of this game depends on how well NDSU safeties play against him and bait him into bad decisions. I think those are the two areas where uh, NDSU can potentially win the game. If they win the trenches on offense and they can make Ben DiNucci make bad decisions with the football in his hand on defense, then I think NDSU's got a shot to win this game by 10 points. Keith, we appreciate it. Hope you enjoy your time down in Frisco, and I'll catch up with you down the road, my friend. That's Keith Brake. He's covering North Dakota State. Don't forget that game on ABC tomorrow. National Championship game on ABC. North Dakota State, James Madison. Should be a heck of a championship contest. When we come back, Mike Gallagher rejoin me from Greensboro, North Carolina. And we'll have our bold predictions for this weekend coming up after this time out. Your Worm Santo sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSM AM 640, The Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model citizen when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. Ah, bold predictions this Friday as ETSU men's and women's basketball in action. Doubleheader broadcast, sort of, sort of, kind of, in a way. We'll join Mike Gallagher pregame show. 1.30 for Western Carolina, 2 o'clock tips. When that game's over, you can join me in Freedom Hall, 4 o'clock tip, VMI, and we'll have the post-game show for the men's basketball team after that. Mike, let's talk a little bold predictions. I guess you're still leading somehow by cheating. Uh, I do not cheat. 
that is for Jay Sandos is of the world, and even when Jay Sandos is of the world cheat, they still do not win, at least not so far. Remember, we tied last year, so maybe cheating equals tying. Uh, some said, uh, a la Eddie Guerrero back in the day, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. So tying, trying, I think there's some similarities there. Anyway, yeah, I'm ahead by two. All right, he's head by two. I'll go first. I'm going to start women's basketball. I think Tiana Kimbrough versus West Carolina gets that elusive first-ever career double-double. On so many different occasions, she's had 11 and 9, 10 and 8. I think even uh, against UNCG last night, she was 9 and 8. So she's been on the precipice for a while. Eh, is it super bold? Maybe not. But I still think if you're predicting something for the first time, then it has to be bold to point out a specific game and say, boom, that's the one. And I do have to enjoy that bold prediction myself and certainly pulling for it. I think there's going to be five players in double figures for ETSU women's basketball against Western Carolina. They've had four against Appalachian State, four against Converse, three against Liberty Wake Forest in South Alabama. If you're following along, those are all of ETSU's wins this year. So three or more in double figures equals a win. I think they set a season high with five. Am I going to predict who they are? No, I am not. Well, similar. I'm going to go men's basketball, and I'm going to go over 90 points, but I'm also going to throw out there, Two players, 20 or more points for the Buccaneers. They get the offense really rocking and rolling against VMI. Very, uh, very apt considering VMI has given up all the points that we talked about in our first segment. I'm thinking along the same lines, but specifically a season high four points for an individual player over the entire team. And I know that sounds super confusing, so I'll just go ahead and tell you exactly what I'm thinking here. If you look at the game results this year for ETSU in terms of highs for a single game for a player, Jeremy Rodriguez, 26, Trey Boyd, 25, Patrick Hood, 24, Bo Hodges, 23, four different players in the top four in single-game scoring for ETSU so far this year. I think someone, and am I going to, again, predict who? No chance, because it's impossible to see ETSU men's basketball team to know who's going to step on a game-by-game basis, as you can tell by the fact it's been Rodriguez, Boyd, Good, and Hodges, the top four scorers in a single game this year for ETSU. Don't know who, but I'm thinking 27 or more points for ETSU's top score against VMI. Yeah, like it. I think that's a good call. Seven with Joe Hughley being the lean scorer. It is now seven different players have led ETSU in scoring. Uh, and so I do I do like that. That's a little outside the box. It's not just somebody being a leading scorer, but it would be a game high as well. So if somebody threw 30 on the board, for an example, that would certainly uh, qualify for that as well. So that's a good, bold prediction. Now, last one, I'm going to go NFL. And, of course, you know me, Mike. I am loyal to my Tennessee Titans that are going to beat the Baltimore Ravens. Your Tennessee Titans. Wow, how interesting. So now you have lost the Patriots and you've forgotten about Tom and waxed everything from your memory, apparently, when as, the Patriots fan. As the New been. Year's resolution said, I should. <laughs> I like how you've embraced it. Uh, I mean, I wrote it last week, so why not go again this week? I predicted the Vikings over the New Orleans Saints. They were double-digit underdogs on the road. They got it done. I think it's six and a half this week against the San Francisco 49ers. Of course, I also am very biased. I am from Minnesota, and I like the Vikings. So there's a little bit of that playing in, but the rationale last week was Dalvin Cook is coming back, and ETSU's got revenge on their minds for the NFC Championship game loss in the Superdome back in 2009, and so on and so forth. Adam Thielen was coming back, and uh, the late – struggles offensively in the year haven't actually been a real thing uh, for Minnesota. It was an outlier against the Packers, and then they rested everybody in Week 17. That proved to be correct as Kirk Cousins went over the top to Thielen in overtime. Eventually, a victory for, uh, for I was going to say ETSU, for Minnesota. Um, and they're going to win again this week over the 49ers, who are second to last in the league in opponent's QBR over the last eight weeks. Big day for my guy, Kirk Cousins, who is the top-rated quarterback under pressure this year. Minnesota 
Minnesota. Go okay. to the NFC Championship, and I hope against Green Bay uh, in Lambeau. That would be a real treat. All right, so we're both being homers and sticking with our favorite teams. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I'll tell you this real quick, Mike. Uh, again, I appreciate you joining me in there. We'll talk to you one thirty pregame show uh, for Western Carolina. Appreciate it. All right, that's Mike Gallagher. Uh, put the wraps on this show. One thirty pregame show, ETSU uh, versus Western Carolina, 2 o'clock tip. It will be men's basketball at 4. So as soon as Mike Gallagher is done with the women's broadcast, we'll have a little bit of a pregame show if time allows. If not, uh, we'll just start with the opening tap, ETSU versus VMI at 4 o'clock Saturday. Don't forget Monday, we'll have a recap. West Carolina women's, the VMI men's. We'll recap bold predictions. I don't know if we'll do pros versus Jays. I'll give a feeling he wants to do the West Miller call again. So I'm sure we'll talk Southern Conference basketball from over the weekend and standings as well. Appreciate Keith Brake calling in. Mike Gallagher as well. We'll see you Monday on another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick on the Air Sports Network. See ya.